to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Well, a couple weeks, it'll be Christmas. I asked a moment ago how many of you finished your Christmas shopping and only a couple of you raised your hands. Um, I've finished mine because the only person I buy for is my wife. She buys for everybody else. So haven't wrapped them yet, but I still got a little bit of time. But as you think about Christmas gifts, you want to get people what they would enjoy, what they would like. And that's why we make lists or we ask people to make lists. But I got a little bit of a riddle for you this morning. I made it up myself, so it may not be all that good, but just to get you thinking about where we're going today. What is it that everybody wants and everybody needs, but nobody else can give it to them? They have to get it for themselves. That's true for you, too. What is something that you really, really want and you really, really need, but nobody else can give it to you? You have to get it. For yourself. Now, like I said, I just made this up. There may be any number of things that fit in that category, but the one thing I want to talk about today is peace. Peace. We're going to talk about peace today. Today is the fourth week and the last week in the sermon series that I began four weeks ago called Always. Always. There are certain things that God wants always to be part of our lives. Their attitudes, their mindsets, their habits. And the initial series started out to be three things coming from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I know you're probably thinking, you said turn to Philippians 4. That's fine, that's where we're going today, but I'm just reviewing for you, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so what we've learned over the last three weeks is that it's God's will that I be always joyful, always prayerful, and always thankful. And it's God's will that you be always joyful, always prayerful, and always thankful. But as I did my studying and as we preached these messages, we found that there was this fourth thing that always seemed to kind of come uh, together with these other three, they were kind of, it's kind of all wrapped up together, kind of tied and tangled together. And that fourth thing is peace. And so that's why I want to conclude the series today with this sermon called Always Peaceful. I believe that God wants us to always experience his peace in our hearts. How many of you would like to have peace? How many of you would like to have it all the time? I can tell you, I don't know of a single person that experiences it all the time, but I want to tell you, I believe with all my heart that the potential is there. The potential is there. What is peace? I came across a humorous definition a number of years ago. I say it's humorous because it is, but unfortunately it's all too real, and in its reality it's not so humorous, and that is that Peace is that brief, glorious moment in history when everyone stands around reloading. Again, somewhat humorous, but yet unfortunately when we look at the world around us, if we see peace, it's usually because 
people, nations are in between conflict. Hasn't put an end to conflict. And I'd be very, very quick to say that, especially this year, but it's true pretty much of every year, we're just not quite as aware of it maybe. We see there's a lot of lack of peace in our world, especially over in the Middle East, and it concerns us greatly, and I hope it concerns you greatly to the fact that you are really seeking God for everybody that is involved. And today I'm not going to be talking so much about peace between nations. I'll be honest with you, God's word even makes it very clear that there will never be a full and firm peace in this world between nations and groups of people until Jesus Christ comes back to set up his kingdom. But the good news is is that he is going to come back and he is going to set up his kingdom and he is going to bring about that peace. That's why he came. The Christmas story itself, when the angels talk to the shepherds, say good news to all people. That peace is available. That peace is available. And so that's what we want to talk about today. But the biblical idea of peace is a little bit different than the idea that we often think of. Because when we think of peace, it's usually in terms of something that's missing, something we want to be missing. For us, peace means there's the absence of war or strife or fear or confusion or heartache or worry or anxiety when we talk about our own personal lives. And peace certainly includes that. But when we look at the Bible, the word peace, a word that perhaps you're familiar with is shalom. In fact, that word or a derivative of it becomes the greeting that most people use in the Middle East, Christians, Jews and Muslims. That greeting of, may you have peace. It's not just the absence of all the negative. But the biblical idea of shalom or peace is not just the absence of the negative, but the presence of all the positive. In other words, what I'm talking about here, it implies completeness, health, justice, prosperity, protection, well-being, and tranquility. It has the idea of those things that are broken will be fixed. And those things that are wrong will be made right. And as I said, the ultimate fulfillment of that will not happen until Jesus comes back. But it will happen. But I want to tell you that God wants us to experience peace in our hearts. And the potential is there for us to have that all time. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 and We will end up reading all of verses 1 to 9, but I want to start off just by looking at verses 6 and 7, a passage that maybe you have memorized, and even if not word for word, you've heard it enough and you've claimed it enough and you've said it enough or referred to it enough that it's become part of who you are because it is a great promise of God that has to do with peace. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, Paul writes and says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the best promises among hundreds of promises for God's people in his word. Now let me ask a little survey here. How many of you have experienced this. You're worried about something. You're anxious about something. You say, I'm going to claim God's word. You came to God in prayer. You put it in his hands and his peace came to your heart. How many of you experienced that? I've experienced that. 
lot of us have experienced that. Well, great. Let's just go home and do it and we're done for today. There's one little problem. One little problem. And that problem is that some people have tried this and it's not worked. I want to ask you to raise your hands. But it could be the exact same hands, probably, if we're going to be honest. Times where we had something that was weighing us down, something that was causing anxiety, causing worry, and we tried to apply these verses, this promise, and bring it to God, put it in His hands, and the next thing we knew, we were worrying about it again. Our hearts were still full of anxiety. The problem didn't go away. A little hint here, God didn't promise in this promise to remove the problem. He just promised to give us peace. Doesn't mean God can't take care of the problem. He can. Many times He does. But anyway, but sometimes it seems as if it's not working. And, and why is that? Why is it that sometimes we try to apply this? We, we do pray. We do say, God, here it is. And, and I'm just, but it just keeps coming back. Well, there's some very good reasons for that. And this is a great example of how sometimes we'll take a great promise of God, a promise that is real, that is true, that God gives to his people, and we'll just kind of yank it out of context and apply it without consideration of other things that are intertwined with it. So today I want to look at this very important promise that is 100% true and guaranteed, but look at the passage around it that illustrates certain things that can keep us from experiencing and receiving the peace that God promises here. Okay? This principle is true. But it's got to be applied in the context of other areas of our life. So first of all, I want to look at this promise again in verses 6 to 7. And it tells us a couple of very, very important truths. And if we're going to apply this promise, we have to understand what this promise is saying. Okay. First of all, it tells us that we can pray about anything and everything. We can pray about anything and everything. There's nothing that's too big. There's nothing that's too small. If it concerns us, God cares. And there have been times I've had the thought of, well, yeah, but maybe I'm praying about things that really that's kind of silly. It really shouldn't be that big a deal to me, but it is. And I also have experienced myself and I believe to be the fact that if I'm praying about something that God says, you know, that's a little silly, you really don't. He'll tell me that. But if it's on my mind, if it's on my heart, it's something I can bring to God because God cares about what I care about. In fact, I don't have it in my notes, but that passage says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But we can pray about anything and everything. It says here in these verses that we should in everything by prayer and supplication. By prayer and supplication. Are those the same thing, different things? Well, first of all, prayer. I, I love this definition. I came across it in my study this week. That prayer is worshipful conversation with God. We've taught that, we've talked about that a number of times, that prayer is just talking to God. I like the adding of that word worshipful because it means I recognize who God is and who I am. And so even though I can talk to him about anything and everything, I want to do it with the right attitude and I want to do it with the right submission and I want to do it with recognizing who God is and my appreciation for who he is and what he's done for me. So we come to God in prayer, but when you look at this definition of prayer, as we've said so many times, prayer is so much more than just asking God for stuff, okay? 
But it does include asking God for stuff because that's what the next word means. Petition or supplication, as uh, the, the translation I read um, puts it, and it can also be petition, and that means bringing our requests to God. Even though it would not be good, it would not be mature, it would not be uh, the best thing to only come to God when we want something, we need to develop that relationship, that conversation with Him about everything and anything. It still is appropriate, though, to come to Him with our needs. He wants us to. He's a loving Heavenly Father. He cares about the needs that we have. And another thing that's mentioned here, and that is that Thanksgiving is crucial. I don't mean the holiday, which we just came through. But in our prayers, in our conversation with the Lord, in us bringing the needs that we have, the requests that we have, that, that, that Thanksgiving is important. Sometimes we may feel so overwhelmed with the circumstances of our lives or those around us or our bodies, our finances, whatever that need is, that it's kind of hard to just focus on thanksgiving. But thanksgiving is very, very important. As Paul says here, uh, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Almost every prayer you see in Scripture, even and especially those that are offered in a time of crisis by God's people, there's still that element of thanksgiving. Why is thanksgiving so important? Well, number one, it's the right thing to do. When I spoke a couple weeks ago about always thankful, we said we teach our children that, or at least we should teach our children and our grandchildren. When someone does something for them, gives something to them, they should say thank you. And no matter what crisis we find ourselves in or what needs we have, God has been good to us. As I said in my prayer earlier, even if God did nothing else to meet any else of our needs from this point on, the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and we can have salvation and an eternal relationship with God is enough to thank him for forever. So Thanksgiving is just the right thing to do. But you know what? Even in the midst of need, it's something that can help build our faith. Because when we're in the midst of need, we say, God, here's this thing in my life. It's overwhelming me. It's concerning me. When we take the time in the midst of that prayer to ask for his help to say, but God, I remember back about a year or two ago, I had something similar and you did something about it. Or maybe I've never had anything similar, but I've had other things that seem just as overwhelming. But I came to you and you did something about it. Thank you. It's as we look back and take that time, even in the midst of the crisis, to say thank you for what you've already done. It's like, well, God, you've done it before. You can do it again. You've done something similar. You've done something totally different, but you extended your power. You did your influence thing. It's an expression of faith. I came across this quote. I actually reworded it to make it a little simpler. But without thanksgiving, prayer is just a way for us to complain to God. I never heard it quite put that way before, but that really stuck with me. If all I do is just bring to him stuff I don't like, stuff I want changed, stuff that uh, is causing me problems, I'm basically just complaining. Something to think about. I'll be honest with you. We should be thankful just that we can come into God's presence. 
But the thing that we see as a result of this promise, and this is what we focus on, is that God promises peace as a result. God promises peace as a result. And as I mentioned before, note that God doesn't promise to take care of your problem the way you want him to. He just promises to give you peace. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. Doesn't mean he's sitting there saying, well, I know this really concerns you, but I could care less. I'll give you peace instead. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if we trust God, that God knows what he's doing and he's allowed the circumstances in our lives for a reason. And if we cooperate with him to accomplish what he's trying to do, that even in the process of seeing that worked out, whether it's going to happen today sometime or tomorrow or next week, or there's something going on, it's going to take a while for God to totally work that out to accomplish his purposes, that even in the midst of that, we can have his peace. Or as we studied last week, we can have his joy even when things aren't going the way we'd like them to. So when you pray this prayer, look for the answer, but don't look primarily for the answer. Look for his peace because that's what the promise is about. But you know, Jesus said something very similar in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. It's not going to tell us to do something we can't do. With his help. There's many times he'll tell us to do stuff that we will struggle to do. May even find impossible to do without his help. But he always offers his help. And he says this peace is something that can't be understood. Because we could look at it and say, well, how can I still have peace when everything's falling apart? That doesn't make sense. That's exactly what Paul says. It may not make sense, but it can still be there. It's beyond our understanding how God can give us peace even when the world around us seems to be such a mess. It's it's a gift. It's not something we generate ourselves. And he says this peace will guard our hearts and our minds. I think Paul uses that word deliberately because this peace whether we have it or not, it's in the midst of a battle zone. We live our lives in a spiritual battle zone. And if we're going to have this peace as a gift from God, it's going to take him guarding it for us to be able to maintain it. But he promises to do that. That this peace will guard our heart. It will surround. It will protect. Just like we think of a guard. So as I said, the problem is, is it doesn't always work. We're so glad when it does, but it doesn't always work. But can I tell you that if it doesn't work, the problem's not on God's side because God keeps his promises. The problem's on our side. We can pray and even thank God, but still experience anxiety and a lack of peace unless there are some other things in our life that are lined up the way God has instructed us. So I want to spend the rest of our time talking about things that block our peace. God has promised peace. God says, if you will do this, I will offer my peace to you. But there are certain things that if they are present in our lives, we can go through those steps and it will still block us from experiencing God's peace. And they're found right here in Philippians chapter 4. So let's take a look at these peace blockers. Now, each one could be a whole sermon in themselves, so we're just going to do kind of a quick overview. The one that probably most of you could come up with anyway is one thing that will block our peace is if we are not right with the Lord. Remember, we're talking about God's peace here. 
And if we're not right with God, how do we expect to be able to experience His peace? God's peace comes from God. And we can only have this peace if we have a relationship with God and we're trusting Him. We're not treating Him as some kind of genie that we can say the right thing or do the right thing to get what we want from Him. Some kind of vending machine, if we just put in the right prayers, it's going to pop out the bottom of what we want. No, it is based on a relationship. God is a good, good Father. And we must know Him as Father and be in good relationship with Him as Father if we expect to experience His peace. I love my dad and my dad loves me. I know that with all my heart. And if I have a need that he can meet and it would be good for me, I know he would do everything he could to meet that. Totally different situation is if I've got a big need and I go next door to my neighbor and try to get them to meet my need and he just saw me kick his cat. Now, that's just an illustration. I don't think my neighbor has a cat. And I've never gone to my neighbor for a need, but I'm just using it as an illustration. If I don't have a relationship, in fact, there's a problem in that relationship, I can't really expect to get much help. But the same thing is true for our relationship with God. If we want His peace, we need to be in relationship with God. How do we know? How can we be in right relationship with God? There's, there's a couple of hints right here in this passage. As we look at Philippians chapter 4, we only read verses 6 and 7 before, but look at verse 1. Paul's wrapping up this letter to the Philippians and he says, therefore, my brothers, and that includes the sisters whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. I like the picture here. You're standing firm. It's firm because you have a solid foundation. And what this tells to me that it tells me is that the Lord is the foundation of my life. The Lord is the foundation of your life. Is the Lord the foundation of your life? Or is he somebody you just kind of call in when life gets too messy? Or is he just somebody that you kind of go to when you have to? There's nowhere else to go. Or is he truly the foundation of your life? The Bible makes it clear that God loves us and wants an intimate, personal relationship with us. But there's a major barrier that's in the way. And that is sin. The Bible makes it clear that we are all born with this sinful nature and it doesn't take very long before it begins to manifest itself. The Bible makes it very clear that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. We are born separated from God. And that death is not just physical, but it's spiritual. But it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what we celebrated in communion this morning, that Jesus came to this earth during the season. We think about his birth as a baby, but he was willing to do that and grow up and live a life, a perfect life. To die a death he didn't deserve and that his death paid the price for our sins. And it's as we put our trust in him that our sins can be forgiven and we can have a relationship with God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Many of us, most of us perhaps here or watching online, you've experienced that. But if you're here today or you're watching online or listening to this later and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never turned to him to use the words we're looking at today here. You've never made him the foundation of your life. Challenge and encourage you to do that. That's the biggest need you have. And that's the first step. You will never have true inner peace and peace with God until you do that. Come to him in repentance. God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I come not on my own value, my own worth, but because of what Jesus did. Your word said so. I'm going to put my trust in that. I want to live for you. Challenge you to do that. And we do that. It's not just a one-time decision and then we kind of go off and do our own thing. We surrender our lives to him. You know, sometimes people think, well, I just got to make this prayer and then I'm good for all eternity. I can go just do my own thing. And they end up living the same life, involved in the same sins. But you know, if it's the sin that cuts us off from God, if we're going to surrender our lives to God, we've got to leave that sin behind. It's a struggle. It's something we're working on all of our lives. But that's part of the process. We're going to leave it behind. That's what repent means. It means I'm going this way. I'm going to turn around and go the other way and live a different sort of life. And God promises to give us his help. But anyway, that um, is the most foundational part of being right with the Lord. A second one is that we experience the Lord as the source of our joy. We talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about always joyful. But in verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And not to re-preach last week's sermon, but there's a lot of things in life that can bring joy, but the primary source of our joy is God. He doesn't just say rejoice always. He does say that in Thessalonians. That's what we preached last week. But here he clarified, rejoice in the Lord. You see, if our rejoicing is all caught up in circumstances and things and people, there are times they're going to let us down. But if our foundation for rejoicing is in the Lord and our relationship with him, that will not let us down. So the Lord is the source of our joy. And the third thing, and these aren't all the things that let us know kind of a temperature of how our relationship is with God or a measuring thing, but these are the ones that are in the passage here. And that is that the Lord's presence and return is a positive motivation. Say, so where do you get that from? Verse 5. Last part of it. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. As he's talking about this whole thing of peace and and uh, getting that in our lives and the circumstances we face is, keep in mind the Lord's at hand. Well, what does that mean? It means two different things. It means both of them, actually. It means that he's close to you. But it also means that Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to make everything right. And both of those things should be an encouragement. That Jesus is close to us. And that he is going to come back and make things right. And if that is something that brings us joy... If that is something that, that, that helps us to have the peace, then that shows that our relationship with God is at least on track to being what it should be. If the fact that Jesus is really, really close makes us nervous, or the fact that he could come back at any time, it's like, I'm not sure I'm ready for him to come back, then that's a sign that, hey, I got something I need to take care of. So the first thing that can block our peace is if we're not right with God. So today, as we're 
looking for and hoping to receive and to experience God's peace in our lives, I would say to do to you, make sure you're right with God. Make sure you've got that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of your life. He's the source of your joy. He's the one you look to. You're glad he's close. You're glad he's coming back. He's going to make everything right. The second thing that can block our peace is if we're not right with others. If we're not right with others. That can definitely cause a problem. And that's something that I don't, I don't think there's a single person that's here or you're watching online say, oh, I never thought about that before. We know when things are not right between us and other people that that can lead to a lack of peace. We see an example of this here in the passage. We're going to read it in just a second in verses 2 and 3. But whenever there's discord between us and others, we will not have peace. Have you ever been in a room, wherever it was, and every, you know, other people are around us and everything just seems peaceful, everything's nice, everything's good, and then a certain person walks through the door and all of a sudden it's like, mmm. They don't even have to say anything, they don't do anything, and it, chances are it's because there's a problem between that person and you or somebody else in the room, and it's like, I'm just waiting for it to explode. Or even if it's not going to explode, it's going to be a little icy in here for a little while. Because of conflict, because of problems between people. We see there's a little bit of a problem like that in the church in Philippi. Earlier in the letter, Paul had written some things about that. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But he actually names the ladies. Can you imagine being in church and the church got a letter from Paul so, yeah, we get to hear from Paul. Paul founded the church, and this is great. And he's, the, the pastor's reading the letter. It's all positive. And then all of a sudden, Paul mentions your name. And it's not in a positive way. Look at verse 2. Paul writes, says, I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, it's kind of a mixed thing because Paul mentions their names because they need to be, this issue's got to be taken care of. But he says some very positive things. Please understand, Paul's not trying to put them down. He's not trying to rag on them. He's not trying to expose their sin to the world. In fact, I would say there's probably not any sin involved here. They're just having a difference of opinion. And the reason I say that, this is just my opinion, is because when there's sin involved, Paul doesn't shy away from mentioning it and saying, get it right. He basically just says they're not getting along. But he does say that these ladies are leaders. They've been very actively involved in doing great things for the cause of Christ. Along with other people that Paul's associated with and with Paul himself. Basically, what Paul's saying is, I love these ladies. They are they are warriors in the faith. They've accomplished great things for Jesus, but they've let something get sideways between them. You ladies, get it worked out. And he mentions here specifically, he says, um, you also true companion. That word that's used there for true companion could also be a name. We're not sure if it's the guy's name or just a description of who he is. He says, help them get this thing worked out. But you know what? When there's something that's not right between us and somebody else, it can take away from our peace. So what do we do? If you'd like, turn back a couple chapters to Philippians chapter 2 because Paul had already talked about some things 
that can help us in all of our relationships, but especially when there's difficulty between us and somebody else. All right? Look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and start um, in verse 1. I think I told them in the back to start with verse 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, having a being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant to, than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, as I said, we could do a whole sermon, a whole Bible study on how we can have good relationships. But right here, there's two main things that, that Paul talks about. First of one, come to an agreement with those you disagree. You know, we just read that in chapter four, where he tells these two ladies, listen, you guys need to come to agreement. And here he says, we need to do this. We need to come to an agreement with those you disagree. How do we do that? Sometimes you have to just agree to disagree agreeably. Have you ever had to do that? You're talking with somebody, you realize, you know what, I don't think we're ever going to agree 100% on this, but you know what? It doesn't have to come between us. You know? You believe this way, I believe this way, but there's so much other stuff that we agree on, let's just let our relationship be based on that and just that's just something that we're not going to talk about unless we just want to have a good, healthy discussion, but we're going to do it in love and prod and poke each other a little bit and stretch each other a little bit, but that's okay. We're just going to focus. And that's really what Paul is saying here in chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, focus on what you have in common. Focus on what you have in common. Don't focus so much on what you disagree about. Focus on what you have in common and then, probably even more important, that focus on others over yourself. You know, Jesus came and he totally denied himself to pay the price for salvation for mankind. And he says, if we're going to follow him, we need to do the same thing. We need to deny ourselves. Take up the cross. Are we willing to deal with, suffer, carry, live through whatever? Ever it takes to follow Jesus. And denying ourselves is not just something we do for Jesus. It's something we do for each other. It doesn't mean that we don't care about our needs. It just means that I'm going to be more concerned about your needs than I am about my needs. That's a real key thing in marriage, by the way. And that's also part of Paul's teaching for husbands, for wives and wives, for husbands, parents, for children. As I read just a little bit ago in verses three and four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right, well, the second thing, going back to Philippians chapter 4, which is where we started. Paul says we should have an agreeable attitude. Right after verse 4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness can be interpreted, can be translated a lot of different ways, all with the same basic meaning. But it means to be reasonable. It means to be caring. It means to be gentle. It means to be fair-minded. It means to be patient. It describes somebody who's willing to yield his or her own rights to show consideration and gentleness to others. 
It doesn't mean that you always agree with everyone. It just means you do everything you can to be in right relationship with everyone. Now, I know that you might say, well, you know what? I do try to do that. I try to live in such a way in my relationships. I try to give a little bit. I try to consider other people more important and and, and be considerate of their needs and their desires and all that kind of stuff. But some people, they just won't have it. I'm doing everything I can. And the good news is that God says that's all he expects you to do. You can read it later, but Romans 12, 18, that's basically what Paul says. Listen, do everything you can to be at peace with everybody else, but you can only do what you can do. And the good news is, is if you've done everything you've done, you can still have peace inside because you know you've done everything you can do. But if you're not, if there are issues between you and somebody else and you refuse to deal with it, it can rob you of that peace. I can tell you, each of these points may be the main one that God's trying to speak to you. So I pause right here to say, is that your issue? If you're not experiencing that peace in your heart, is it because you know there's something between you and somebody else and you have up to this point refused to deal with it? Let's try to settle it. Let's try to work with them on that. Challenge you to do that. The third thing that can block our peace is that we're not thinking right. We're not thinking right. Look at verse 8. This is after the promise when it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, Paul goes on to say, finally, brothers, and that includes sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, if we've got contradictory thoughts going on in our heads, they can keep us from peace. And if we pray about a situation and we say, God, here it is. This is really bothering me. This is worrying me. I've got anxiety. You know, and so, Lord, here it is. And we put it in his hands. But we continue to think about all the negative that's wrapped up in it. We're not going to get the peace. Because we're not truly trusting God. A good example is, have you ever sat down, you know, in your home to just read a good book, you know, or look through a magazine if you're not a reader or whatever, just to enjoy some peace and quiet and you start reading and then all of a sudden somebody turns the TV on or they turn the radio on or some kids come screaming through or maybe all three happen at the same time. We've all experienced that, right? That kind of makes it difficult to really focus on what we're trying to do, the book we're trying to read or whatever. Well, the same thing is in our minds. We're trying to focus on God and what he has for us and just surrendering to God, but we let all these competing thoughts in and the discord's still there and the lack of peace is still there. You know, our thoughts are so important. We could do a whole sermon series on our thoughts. Why the Bible talks about us guarding our thoughts. That's why Paul tells us here to be careful what we think about. Your thoughts determine who you are and who you become. It determines your attitude. It determines what you're going to end up saying and what you're going to end up doing. And so thoughts are so very important. What we think about, we end up living out. And so in the context of this message today of having peace, if we want God's peace, we've got to guard our thoughts. 
and make sure that when we're trying to carry out this promise and bring these things to God, that we don't let all these other thoughts, they're going to bring doubt and fear and anxiety back into our minds. You know, do these words that Paul uses here describe the thoughts that your mind dwells on? We have to guard our minds. Guard our minds. I think of a security system in a home. You know, if you get a security system installed in your home and you do it right and it's uh, full strength, you know, it has monitors on the doors, but not just the doors. It has it on the windows and other other places of entry and other ways in which people can kind of invade your home. You try A security company will try to think of every way in which someone who would seek to harm you, steal from you or whatever could try to get in to your space. We need to do the same thing with our minds. Guard our minds. Set up a barrier where however things can get in to make sure only the right things get in. And that's a, that's a whole lifelong process. But one of the best things we can do is to fill our minds with God's Word. Fill our minds with God's Word. Well, the fourth and last thing that can be a barrier to peace is if we're not living right. I know that's related to being in right relationship with God because to be in right relationship with God, we need to be dealing with any sin in our lives. But I just want to come back to that because it's here at the end of our passage. We see it uh, in verse 9. As Paul's wrapping this all up, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He brings up that idea of peace again, so it ties it all together. Paul says something similar in a couple of other places. In Philippians 3, just a chapter before, verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, it'd be very easy to take these verses and say, Paul is really full of himself, isn't he? I mean, he just thinks he's somebody special. That's not what Paul's attitude is here. I mean... In the verse I just read, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Basically, what he's saying is, follow my example to the degree that you see that I'm living the way Christ wants me to live. And why did he say that? Because uh, because the people of Paul's day did not have the Bible that you do. And they didn't even have as quick and easy of an access to the Old Testament that we do today. Any access they might would have is because there was a copy of maybe some of the books at the synagogue and you had to go there and you didn't necessarily even have the right or the ability to access them. You were dependent on what you were told and you were dependent on what you saw in other people's lives. And so basically what Paul is saying in this time of history, I'm bringing the gospel to you and I'm doing the best I can to live out what God wants me to live out. So, you know, what you've heard me teach, you know, the things that I've brought to you, the things I've written in this letter... The way you live my life, live that out. Live the life that God has for you. And that's why I say that that can be a barrier to our peace if we're not living right. If we know that we're not doing the right thing and we know we're supposed to, that causes discord in our hearts. And until we get that thing right, we're going to lack peace, at least in that area of our lives.
We're praying about a situation in our marriage. Saying, God, would you intervene in my relationship with my husband, with my wife? And we know that there's certain things that we should be doing and certain attitudes we should be cultivating and certain ways we're supposed to be treating them and we're not doing it. That's immediately going to put a barrier between us having peace about it because it's like, oh, I asked God to take care of this. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And that's true for every area of our life, our finances, our relationships with other people, how we operate in the workplace or at school. All I'm trying to say is that just like we said about joy last week, if there's sin in our lives, if there's something that's not right, and we know it and we're doing nothing about it, it's going to block us. Last week it said it could block our joy. This week it can block our peace. Now, it's not something we get perfect immediately. I think that's why Paul said that whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice means you got to keep on doing it, keep on trying to get it right. You know, we're all in process. None of us will be perfect until we get to heaven. But we need to practice these things. So, today we're talking about always peaceful. I start out by saying we all want peace. We all need peace. It's not something someone else can give us, some other human being. True peace is only available from God. But he does make it available to us. And we do have this great promise that in all things, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to worry. But we can take them to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And his peace will guard our hearts. But we need to make sure that there's not some other area of our life that's blocking that peace from being settled in our hearts. Going back to the way we started, and I said, how many of you have ever experienced this? You've taken something to God, and you prayed about it, and the peace came. If you were able to look a little bit closer at that time in your life and the circumstances that were surrounding you, you'd probably find that at that time in your life, it's like, you know, everything's pretty good between me and God. And I've done the best I can in my relationship with other people, and I'm trying to live right, and, and you know, I'm watching what I'm thinking, all kind of stuff. Chances are those other factors were involved also. And that's one of the reasons why the peace came so easily. The promise in verse 7 says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And Paul wraps this all up in verse 9 by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. So the peace of God and the God of peace both are available to us. If we make sure we're in right relationship with God and we're in right relationship with other people, we've got a right thinking and right living. So as we wrap this up today, I just want to ask you, what is keeping you from peace? And I just encourage you to zero in on that and get that right with God. Let's all stand together. We're going to conclude our service as we most often do. I'm going to ask, invite our elders, our prayer team, if they would come to the front, please. Our worship team is going to lead a worship course And I just encourage and challenge you to respond how you need to respond this morning. If there's something you need to get right, get it right with God. Ask Him for the peace. If it's not there, say, God, what is blocking it? And then get it taken care of. If you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to come down and meet with one of us and we'll be glad to pray with you to see that happen in your life. But if in this time you have a specific need in your life 
your body, your mind, your finances, relationship, whatever, or you're concerned about someone else and you'd like someone to pray with you, that's why we're going to be down here. So we're going to go into that prayer time. You respond, you come, and in just a couple moments, I'll come back and close the service in prayer. Amen. As we said during our prayer time earlier in the service, it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. Let's just look to him right now. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for what you did for us on the cross in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the miracles he did and we saw in, we see in your word. And you can still do those same miracles today as we turn to you. Father, I pray that each individual in this room or watching online or listening or watching later would experience your peace because you make it available that they would do whatever it takes, Lord God, to get things where they need to be so that your peace guards their heart and their mind. God, I pray for every relationship that's represented here. Marriages, Lord God, parents and children and maybe grandchildren and friends and co-workers, whatever it might be. Lord, you know where there's difficulty. You know where there's the kind of rubbing the wrong way and uh, issues are there. Father, I pray that whatever we can do to bring peace to a relationship, we would do and then leave the rest in your hands. Deal with our hearts if there's things that need to change, things that need to be done. Show us what that might be. But I pray that none of us would miss out on this great gift of peace that you make available to us because we're unwilling to humble ourselves and turn to you and to others in love. Thank you, Lord God. God, I pray that as we leave this place today, we would go in your presence and your power. You make those available to us also that as we live our lives this week, we we do it the way you want us to do. We can walk in victory and we can be used by you in our homes and we can be used by you in our community in our workplace wherever it is that we go and might even have the joy of pointing people to jesus specifically father we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in jesus name and everybody said amen amen god bless you we hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or bible study For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.